Thursday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And Jim, here we are at minute 49. We're coming up on the halfway point here before too much longer. Yeah, it's just, I I was thinking this was going to crawl, but we've been flying through these things. We absolutely uh, have. uh, The end uh, isn't near, but you can see it from here. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm already starting to get the the post-Rocketeer minute blues. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's it's still a cheery day here in uh, oh, that's in, true. in, in sunny. Uh, well, we're not in LA, but uh, the movie is, <laughs> and movie uh, is. we're we're watching. Well, we're, we're still back with uh, Fitch and Wooly, FBI agents, all going through. Uh, they've they've shown up at the Bigelow offices or the offices of Bigelow Aeronautics to uh, to find out what's going on with Bigelow, and uh, they found a very messed up room, and uh, the two. <laughs> so they're they're wandering around. And uh, Wooly's trying to make out what's under the desk, so he uh, he tells Fitch uh, get 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 a light over there. So he turns on the desk lamp, and uh, we get to see the final performance of John Polito in this movie. <laughs> yes, and uh, presumably not his own foot. Probably, yeah, hope, hopefully not. Or <laughs> hopefully not. He's wearing it on his arm. Because right. He's, uh, yes. Super. A lot of. I don't know. It's a stunt foot. I'm just going yeah. to assume that. Yeah. He, and, <clears throat> you know, there's that uh, on the floor around him, there's a Bigelow Air Circus uh, invoice that's stamped paid. And I just can't quite make out what that's for. But I've always been curious about that. I wonder what little bit of set dressing that was. 300 gallons of gas. 300 gallons gas. of gas, probably, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, some, some, somewhere, somebody out, well, I think we know a couple of people who might have it. So we'll have to I was going to say, uh, <laughs> yeah. at this point, I'm just going to assume that, uh, Mike Bruno has that invoice and, uh, and be weirdly surprised, uh, if he does not. And, yeah. and very quickly, speaking of some, uh, some friends of ours that are, uh, that are listening, uh, a quick, uh, shout out and, and re-apology to Adam and Jamie Hicks for mixing their names around on, uh, on Tuesday's episode. We've already followed up on this on Facebook and they have decided that we're, that they're cousins and that the uh, the rocketeer minute is doing nothing but just bringing family together so one, one big happy family that's the way it goes. exactly that's right uncle jim <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow so uh fitch gets you know fitch gets upset about the whole thing when he sees it but woolly gets even more upset he says he yells out mother of mercy which uh, may indicate his catholic background he's his name's woolly but um wolanski is his full name so he is possibly of polish descent which uh might tie uh, in. Uh, this is kind of a long, a long uh, way around the barn, but, but follow me here. Uh, Mother of Mercy. I'm not going anywhere. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mother Mother of Mercy, the term term for the Virgin Mary in the Catholic Church, uh, was originated by Saint Bridget of Sweden, but uh, made most popular by a, a, a sister and later Saint Faustina of uh, of Warsaw, Poland. At the time, oh, it, we're in 1938 here. Um, uh, there was a nun in uh, uh, Plock, uh, Poland, uh, who had a, a apparitions, multiple apparitions of Jesus and Mary. And uh, she was trying to describe the images that she was seeing, but she was a terrible artist in her own words. Uh, she wrote in her, in her diary that she just <laughs> she, she didn't know how to draw. So she, she asked everybody in her convent if anybody else knew how to sketch and they finally found a priest, a neighboring priest, who did know how to do artwork, and she described the vision that she was having, and this priest carefully drew it out. And uh, now this uh, 
this particular painting, which is in Poland, is known as uh, the painting of Divine Mercy. And uh, Faustina uh, became increasingly ill from 1935 through 1938, passing away 10 days before the setting of this uh, of this particular scene, uh, October of 1938. So very, really? very popular in the Polish community. Uh, she was finally uh, 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 canonized in the year 2000 and is now known as St. Faustina. So the uh, the phrase Mother of Mercy would probably be highly, uh, it would be on the minds of many in the Polish community, although I don't know if how far it extended to Los Angeles, but this could be through... Uh, uh, what you know, where Wolanski came from, and I would have no doubts that Dave Stevens had carefully researched this and knew what to put in the uh, in the script for that. And uh, we'll have to ask uh, Danny Bilson when uh, hopefully we'll have him on shortly to ask him if how much Dave had uh, put some of these details in there. Absolutely, that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. And then I have to wonder if uh, uh, if this this nun said she was a terrible artist. I wonder if she was any sort of spiritual connection to. Um, uh, Cecilia Jimenez, who very famously, quote-unquote, restored uh, <laughs> yes. that uh, fresco in uh, somewhere in Spain, if I remember yeah. right. and uh, Yeah, rather did the Ziggy treatment on it. <laughs> exactly, yes. Everybody's, everybody's head is just a big circle. Wow, yeah. So, so oh well, um, have a nice day. <laughs> yes, have a nice day. <laughs> Go to the complaint department. Uh, but the things that you learn on this show, that's... Absolutely. That's uh, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of... I, I sort of vaguely aware, superficially, a Mother of Mercy presumed it would have been referring to to Mary and, and likely a, a Catholic expression, but uh, but I didn't know there was such a distinct and literal uh, and, and, frankly, contemporary, at least as far as the film is concerned, etymology to it. Yeah, I, I was surprised too as I started uh, examining these things. It was like, oh, it was that recent, and then it was that it was that involved, and especially with uh, you know the character of Olansky. So it was, huh? <laughs> it's, most of the time, I, I think when, when we're researching the background, I think that, that's usually the final ex- yes. <laughs> uh, interjection that we have. It's like, oh, look at that. Right. I, I it's all about that. getting to the huh. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, and we have this show try to take you there with us, yeah. whether you, whether you want to go or not. It's it's all it's all a matter of detective work, which uh, right. our, our good our good friends Fitch and Wooly are doing here. Uh, Wooly picks up that that pad of paper, uh, that right. Bigelow pad of paper, which uh, I think is still available. Is that correct? So the uh, for a while you could actually go to the, to uh, the Joe Johnston sketchbooks, Joe Johnston's official site, and uh, they had uh, he still had sheets of this uh, stationery and then a larger version. If I remember, it has a, a colored logo um, and you can actually buy sheets of either one they've sort of you know each individual sheet not necessarily screen used but part of the pads that they would have made for screen use and uh, he'll even sign them and things now last that I looked um, the only the larger version was available but uh, this so this smaller one uh, maybe maybe he's run out of them hmm. but uh, interesting to see and a great little logo with the the swooping airplane on it and interesting to see this is Bigelow aeronautical Corp Corporation, um, and then in the background we see the uh, some of the Bigelow Air Circus stationery, and yeah. so you know certainly the Air Circus would be presumably this, you know that's the event that's under the umbrella of the Aeronautical Corporation, which now belongs to uh, Otis Bigelow's heirs, whoever they may be. Yeah. <laughs> so. Maybe uh, maybe maybe he lent he gave it to a uh, Millie. So. <laughs> that very well could be. He left Thanks it to so. left to Millie. Thanks I'd like so to fun. think that he he left it to Patsy. 
Yeah, that would be and nice. And that uh, we're going to be, you know, seeing Patsy's Air Circus uh, coming yeah, up pretty she, soon. She could be the next Rocketeer. Who knows? Well, that very well could be. She was, you know, I, I, w- I was thinking about this this pad of paper, and if I did order from the Joe Johnson sketchbook, I don't think I'd want him to autograph it. I think I'd want him to write on one piece of paper and write 1635 <laughs> Palm Terrace and give me the paper underneath. Oh, that would be perfect. <laughs> then And then see if he's the one who wrote it. See if that was yeah, his, his yeah. handwriting or not. That would be pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. And, it, it, okay. Oh, I was just going to say, and then as you know, we're zoomed in on this, number one, how brilliantly shot is it that and, and lit that you can read the address on camera uh, just as the impression in the paper? Yeah. That just seems like that would have been, uh, uh, you know, you could you could do that and then try all day to take a picture of it and, and, and struggle mightily to get the lighting right. And then, of course, the framing of as we dissolve to the next scene where that that writing lines up just all but perfectly yeah and it was one take because i mean once he crumpled that paper from you can't uncrumple it yeah right exactly to, rack, racking the focus to the uh, to the mailbox right yeah and that is uh, that is such a such a neat shot uh and then uh, of course both are heading cool. for the uh, heading for that beautiful california classic california bungalow yeah. Which uh, we didn't really talk about the first time. I mean, we we talked a little bit about the arts and crafts movement and things like that. But I, I like to I like to get into it a little bit here more. Sure. The, the uh, this is a truly an American. Uh, it's it's an American. The American Craftsman Home is kind. Of, it's kind of a, a purely American thing. There's although it has its roots. The word bungalow is uh, from a, an Indian word. Uh, uh, Asian Indian word. Uh, the, the British believed in uh, these these short cabins that the uh, that the in, uh, Indians had built uh, as housing, and it, it uh, much like IPA, they transfer, they transferred <laughs> uh, the knowledge that they gained and the rocket. They uh, they transferred the knowledge they gained from their uh, uh, colonization of India over to Brit- uh, Britain, and then uh, uh, the British ideas of, of bungalows were changed by the Americans who had seen them in you know, the 1880s or so. They, they started coming over here in the 1880s. It, it, the way that they were built in India, they had native, uh, they, they were built by native la- uh, labor. They had um, these big verandas, which are or porches on the front and, and the huge overhanging eaves, which became the American front porch. It, it, what that was was for in hot summer days, you get a lot of cool air blowing across a large area of the front of the house, so it kept it cool in warmer places. Where we usually use the term now, bungalow is typically for like a, a beach location, and it's kind of a temporary summer house. These homes built in the sweltering heat of uh, Los Angeles were very popular because you know, pretty much year-round you're, you're either sweltering or, or you're getting rained on, so you need a, a good long roof with a, a dry area in front of your house. This the particular house that we're looking at here in Palm Terrace is in Hollywood. It, it's it's up in the hills, not too far from Griffith Park, where we'll, where we'll be later in the show. Um, but uh, but that that style there was very popular around 1908 to say the end of World War One. Two two men, Charles and uh, Henry Green, uh, looked at turning. Uh, they they had originally built like Queen Anne style homes, but they they changed them into this uh, craftsman built home. This this whole craftsman movement popularized by um, kit houses from Sears. It, they, they were reproducible, easily made by local talent, and uh, you know very very artistic and very pleasing. I mean, if you've ever been in a craftsman style home, it's very um, 
very comfortable. You feel, you feel very, it's, it's very relaxed. It's not a, it, it doesn't have that formal look of what was popular in New England with, um, you know, the colonial style homes or the, the Federalist style homes of, uh, of George Washington that way. This was, this is more of a, a tropical or semi-tropical, uh, type house. And, uh, it, it's, it, you know, it has more of a feel of like a shell, like a ski chalet or, 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 you know, like the French chalet or the Swiss chalet style. Sure. And, uh. Well, it's it's very much a PV house in my mind. Yeah. Now yeah. I, I've always assumed this has been PV's house for a long time, and that you know Cliff is a roommate. You know, it, it could be the other way around, but yeah, no, it, it's uh, you know, also where they're at, Los Angeles, Pasadena, and, and those kind of areas. That was um, it, it was more for the the Hollywood types. It's more of a resort area. It's kind of a place where you went to if you know another another idea was health that you had fresh air blowing through. Oh sure. So uh, that you know that made it good. Although Jim, when you say Hollywood types, I believe uh, I believe you mean them phony balonies. Yeah, them uh, phony balonies. Yes. Oh. And wouldn't they be them Hollywood land phony balonies? The Hollywood land phony balonies. Yeah, that's right. Uh, for a little while yet, for another uh, for another forty minutes, fifty minutes or so, it'll be it'll be Hollywood land. There was a fellow. Now, of course, I've forgotten his first name. Was Stickley, and Stickley actually had a had a his own magazine called the craftsman and he promoted this idea of the american bungalow as a a craftsman home as what you wanted in in living you know the the three principles of of the design were simplicity harmony with nature and the promotion of craftsmanship like everywhere you look you go look at those doors look at the way the beveling is you know just because they're simple and it's casual doesn't mean that it doesn't show a high degree of uh of skill with um uh, things like the beadboard, you know, the, the ceilings of the uh, of of the porch, the front porch, and things like that. In this case, there's kind of a, a pergola type on one section, and you know, it, it really became a very popular style that went, uh, it, you know, it, it stayed around for about. By the time they got to the 30s, though, the um, this bungalow craftsman style was kind of getting dated. A lot of people had moved from the east to the west, so they wanted the houses they were more familiar with. So things like colonial style homes, two-story homes that really didn't fit in with the landscape uh, had to get built because people were moving from like New England, New York, um, you know, the, generally the East Coast moving to the West Coast. So that kind of altered, you started seeing Georgian style homes and Federalist style homes that appeared, and especially in places like Beverly Hills where all the, the Hollywood phony balonies were moving. <laughs> yes. But that was considered, you know, more of a luxury thing. And then these bungalow styles were considered uh, more of a middle class uh, type of a dwelling, even though, I mean, it was, you know, it's a very egalitarian uh, idea that uh, people like Frank Lloyd Wright pushed the prairie style. This, oh, sure. This is all seen here um, and uh, just more work a day. And uh, was by the time, I think by the time PV and, uh, and Cliff were living here, this was considered a little bit lower class area than, say, someplace that. Uh, well, you, we've seen the other, the other extreme of the Frank Lloyd Wright, where uh, where Neville Sinclair lived. Yes, so. that is the the opposite end. And, um, and, uh, and but but both influenced by the same architect, so just kind of odd. Isn't that something? Yeah. yeah. So this house could be, you know, twenty, maybe as much as thirty years old uh, at this point. Sure. Contemporarily, yeah. something like e- that. Easily, yeah. So. Yeah, I just love I just love the clutter in there. I just you feel oh. like when you go inside there, you can you feel very much at home. They don't yeah. have any room for anything, but he's this right. he works on the dining room table and gets yep. all of his gear in line. He's, he's got the the X three on one chair, and then the helmet staring him right in the face for for inspiration. 
Yeah, and a cup of coffee and yeah. some uh, carpenter's pencils there, and what yeah. looks like a I, that's a an angle. Uh, I forget now. It's not a protractor, but it's the uh, it, it's he's measuring angles, obviously. Oh and, right. Uh, yeah. He he hears the <laughs> he hears somebody lumbering outside. Yes. And uh, goes for the nearest uh, personal <laughs> personal protection tool, which <laughs> in this case is uh, a ball peen hammer, which <laughs> actually makes total sense because a ball peen hammer is uh, what you use for metalwork, peening the. Uh, that, that the ball on, on, the, on the back there is what you use to bang out the curves. And it, it, in the process, you're hardening the metal. So you make it uh, stiffer and less bendy. Um, if uh, people of my age <laughs> would, would remember going to summer camp and making ashtrays with that very tool. Uh-huh. <laughs> out Interesting. Of, out of pieces of uh, aluminum or, or uh, stainless steel. Yeah, so presumably he would have, uh, he would have shaped the helmet uh, designs with some of that. Probably knocked a few dings out of the X3. <laughs> right, yeah, knocked a few dings out of the X3, and uh, but now, as you say, he's uh, he's reaching to it for uh, for home defense. Yeah, um, it's also uh, an interesting aside in this uh, in this segment. He's you know he's sitting there, he's drawing, he's got all his books open, and I've I, I've not been able to look closely enough or see quite enough detail to see if I recognize any of these books. You know, we just see enough to see tables of numbers and some formulae and things like that. But he's talking about thrust and he says, now thrust 128 inches per second, which that's, that would be as I'm I'm not, I don't need to tell you, Mr. Rocket scientist, that would be of course, a measure of acceleration. Yeah. um, Or at least velocity, if not acceleration, um, you would need a second time component for acceleration, wouldn't you? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, whereas thrust is normally just measured in in weight or mass, so or second or seconds. If you're trying to go for impulse, you're trying to figure like total impulse. Uh, the uh, if he, if he's thinking of thrust, he would he would actually consider impulse, and impulse is always a, a function of seconds. So he doesn't really. I, I don't right. want to go into the impulse and, equation here, but yeah, it's and, and just on the on the airplane side, when we talk about. Uh, more in in uh, turbine engines, jet engines, and things like we talk about thrust. We just tend to talk about pounds of thrust. This engine is capable of putting out, you know, a thousand pounds of thrust or ten thousand pounds of thrust, something like that. But but uh, we can forgive PV uh, just some some interesting units while he's musing out loud, especially uh, especially given that uh, he's a little nervous uh, about what's about to happen here as he grabs his ball peen hammer. Yeah. So, oh, well, I mean, he's also thinking about he's probably thinking about the total impulse required for him to get up and get out of the way. Right. There's also he, that. Not to mention the fact that this, uh, you know, this whole rocket pack caper hasn't hasn't exactly brought him a lot of good fortune so far. Yeah. I, I just I, I, I keep thinking about you. What what do you do if you have a seven foot tall guy lurking about? Um, <laughs> right. And he he does. I'm trying to like. He does know that uh, he's wanted. I'm, I'm try- trying to figure out how much level of danger does he think he's in. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point because there hasn't been that much, you know, as we bounce around here, PV hasn't really seen much of an overt threat other than, you know, he's he seen- knows that they've borrowed this thing without anybody's permission, which they call stealing. Yeah. So, so fundamentally, he knows eh, we're probably not supposed to have this thing, but it hasn't really brought a world to hurt down on him yet, has it? No, at this no, point in the he's film, a, he's about to meet a Frankenstein gentleman shortly. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and that but, at about second fifty-five, when you see Tiny Ron's hand go over that doorknob. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that is just ridiculous. It's like 
It's like yeah, a it's polar like bear or something. Yeah, he's like he, it's like he's opening a Bal- Barbie's Malibu dream house. Yeah, <laughs> it's no. One of those, it, it's or it, the the doorknob is just incredibly tiny in yeah. tiny tiny Ron's hands. It uh, y- you want to think that that was a scaled down doorknob, but it, I'm sure it wasn't. He he was a big or excuse me, he is a big big guy. Yeah, and uh, he just gets there just in time to have uh, have our hero Cliff show up on his motorcycle which by the way this is a great view if, if you stop around second 58 it is a great view of the underside of that uh that craftsman style house when you look oh at things, sure just simple things like the soffits and that that beautiful that beautiful um uh, uh, spar varnished ceiling in the on the side porch there it's just uh-huh. and gorgeous just house. the you know the presence of multiple porches and uh, it is just that really is just a, a Beautiful bit of design. Now, I I wonder since we know from uh, minutes uh, a few minutes from now that uh, a lot of the you know the front of this house was a facade for effects purposes. I wonder how much uh, how much of that is uh, is facade or how much uh, you know how much the the real house looks like this. I'd like to think it looks just like this, and we'd recognize it if we drove by. But I am hoping that I know our many our many fans that listen to this. Someone may have production pictures of. 1635 Palm Church as it was being con- uh, you know, refitted for this sure. for this shoot, and uh, if they if they have any pictures and they'd love to share it with us, please do because we would love to share it with uh, with everybody else. Right, um, Hal, you do know something about that motorcycle that I probably don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I won't claim any uh, any particular special expertise, but I did find a little bit of history uh, history about it. Motorcycles are one of those things that I tried to sort of keep at arm's length because. Um, you know, I'm used to being sort of a vehicle nerd around airplanes and then to a much smaller extent, certain cars and then ocean liners and things, motorcycles. I can just point out and say, oh, that one looks cool. But, uh, that's about the extent of my, my in-depth knowledge. But, uh, this one in particular, uh, it's a Harley, Harley Davidson, uh, built in 1929 and it's a, it's an SDH or excuse me, JDH. Can't even read my own notes here. Um, it's a twin cam motorcycle. And this was uh, this was Harley's consumer model that they put out basically in response to um, so many of their customers uh, wanting to buy a motorcycle that performed like the racing motorcycles that Harley had been building. So Harley finally sort of gave in and said, "Okay, here's one that's basically you know here's a street model, but it's just as good as the racers we've done." So new in 1929, this would have sold uh, for uh, $385. Wow. That's about uh, fifty three hundred bucks today. So it actually seems that part of it seems cheap, but when you when you compare it to um, a Model A at the time, and uh, I'm sorry, so the motorcycle sold for three seventy. A Model A, the entry level Model A Ford, at the same year, sold for three eighty five. So there's almost the same price, uh, same price as a car, which. Yeah, that's uh, with, like that's like a year's worth of clown shows. Yeah, exactly. And uh, assuming you don't run into any trucks and blow that's anything true. up. <laughs> now the uh, the individual uh, motorcycle you see uh, you see on film here um, is that you know as is so often the case, multiple owners over the years. But one of the things I thought was interesting is for a while it was uh, it was owned by a guy named Bud Eakins, and Bud was a uh, was a stunt writer and driver worked in a lot of films so if you remember um the the classic motorcycle scene in the great escape 
Right. So that's Bud right, doing the, the riding in that. Now, that's not this motorcycle, but this motorcycle was part of his collection. Bud also drove, uh, uh, drove the Ford Mustang and Bullet. Ah. So two of the most iconic sort of, you know, ground-based transportation-related uh, scenes in, in, you know, mid-century movie history. So, uh, so Bud had this in his collection, and then he, uh, he sold it to a museum in Oxnard, California. That was a museum that was started because a guy named Otis Chandler um, had so many cool things in his collection that he just, the only way he could continue justifying it was a museum. Uh, so I'm wondering if Mike Bruno is listening. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get your museum going there, buddy. Um, so Otis Chandler owned it. And uh, then it was, you know, sort of re-restored by a guy named Glenn Bader, who is apparently still out there, still very active in the motorcycle restoration business. Um, but it was while it was owned by that museum that it was uh, hired out for this movie. Then after this movie, it went to Italy, uh, somewhere in Italy, and then ended up, at least as of a few years ago, it ended up in Melbourne, Australia. Hmm. So uh, this, World traveler. Yeah, this bike has been, boy, at least halfway around the world so far. So, and, you know, it likely started uh, just a little bit south of me uh, in uh, down in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It is a beautiful bike and a great sound. I mean, oh, sound, yeah, when it comes rolling up. So great. Yeah, just that. And uh, <laughs> so, that's the best so, motorcycle impersonation I've heard all day, Jim. I want you to know. I try. Yes. <laughs> you always deliver, my friend. Well, I just keep picturing every time you're holding the, the toy planes up at, at, on your desk. <laughs> There's a lot of room. room. There is a lot of that going on, yes, <laughs> unquestionably. Uh, uh, well, so we're going <laughs> to – everything seems to be set in place for something to happen. <laughs> right. And so what I'm trying to figure out – let me scrub back here real quick before we, before we get away. So Tiny Ron is trying the door – May or may not have actually opened it yet. So when when Cliff comes up on the motorcycle, so number one, we have to ask Billy if he's wearing suspenders or something. If you look as the back of his jacket is lifted up. But setting that aside, in in the shot where we see Billy, where is Tiny Ron right now? Is he's he? A, he's in the back of the house. If you if okay. you watch around second uh, forty two, you'll see his shadow pass across the front porch. So, oh, uh, sure. Okay. So he's, he's going... He, he's gone around the back of the house where they will later be exiting in a few minutes. Right. So he's gone basically off to the right of this frame of this scene. Right. He's on the, and, ag- ag- the opposite corner. The opposite corner from where Cliff has just ridden up. Yeah. And then, yes, as you say, we will see that uh, we will see that sort of uh, back door and that back alley entrance and a, uh, and a moderately interested neighbor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem to be too eager to offer... Any assistance of any kind, but he he's, he's out to look around and see what's what. So we've got that to yeah. look forward to. Yeah, but for for this final second, we just get to enjoy one last one last look at that that beautiful house. Yes, <laughs> as of the before the f- before right picture. the before picture. I do I know. do love that 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 hearth, which is the the large uh, that large fireplace that's in the oh, front yes. there, is a key feature of Craftsman Homes uh, from the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, uh, playbook. He uh, Frank Lloyd Wright believed that the hearth was the center of of the American home, and it, it was always part of a great room. And it also it, it formed basically the spine of the house. If you if you look at uh, most of the later, it, it began in the prairie uh, style homes, but uh, as he moved into what was known as the Usonian U.S. U.S.O. Usonian for United States Onian type homes, 
the uh, you'll notice any of their layouts this the fireplace is the center of the home and everything hangs off of the fireplace so this was even though this wasn't a Frank Lloyd Wright this is uh, coming from coming from all the other craftsman guys who are saying you need to have a spine to your house and that that's an early this 1908 one here this is an early development of that idea of a Usonian spine uh, based on the hearth. Yeah, it's a, it's fascinating to think of, um, you know, as as architecture architecture developed like this, that um, that you had these these principles coming into play. And obviously, you know, we've had different types of architecture going back hundreds and hundreds of years in Gothic styles and this styles, but but so many of them. And I, I really don't know what I'm talking about here, but so many sort of the when you think about Gothic style and Renaissance and things like this, it tends to refer mostly to just aesthetics. But when you're talking about this, we're talking about the home having a spine. It seems like we've transitioned to defining a style, not by its just by its superficial appearance, by its but by its design, its sort of form following the function, and and defining it as as not just what it yeah. looks like, but how you're going to use it. Yeah, it's the bones of the uh, the, the typical phrase that I hear from, from people doing architecture stuff. It's the bones of the house. And you're right. looking at, if you look at the basic bones of a bungalow, uh, this is this is it in spades. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the windows, the idea of the letting all the light, as much light in as you can. And uh, gosh, I want to move there. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. What are, what are we waiting for? Yeah, yeah. It's just a complete lack of storage space. Let's, but, you know, maybe it's got a huge basement. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's one thing. Starting on the West Coast and then moving here to the Midwest a few years ago, uh, I was not prepared for the fact that any place you look has a gigantic basement. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I assumed that, you know, I'd move into a smaller place for a little while, relocating 3,000 miles, 2,000 miles, whatever, and uh, that we'd need to go rent a storage unit. And then and then we walk down, there's this there's this basement. They could put a city down there. So... And it's uh, it's really it's all about tornado shelters in this part yeah, of the country. Well, and so. model railroading, I, I and model railroading, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a it's it's great. You know, you see this thing, and I, I can understand why there's an HGTV. I mean, I just I, just, I love looking at houses, and, and here's just an opportunity in, in this little Disney right. film. And you know, very quickly bouncing back, um, we talked about the price of the motorcycle, the price of a of a Model A. Um, and now we're talking about houses. One note I had made that I didn't mention is in, here in in uh, 1929. So when that motorcycle was new. And that Model A was selling for three hundred and eighty-five bucks. Average house prices in the U.S. would have been between two and three thousand dollars. Just, wow. just so people have a little bit of perspective there. Yeah. So, you know, more than ten percent of the cost of your house on a motorcycle. Wow. <laughs> Go figure. Well, yeah, it it happens, but uh, so, yeah. Anyway, this this is a beautiful minute, and again, this is this is one of the perfect minutes for seeing how many different directions this movie goes. Absolutely. Right? And, uh, you know, Jim, I'm sorry. I just saw one other note, and I'm going to kick oh. myself if I don't toss this one out there. So forgive me for being all over the map tonight. No, it's okay. But uh, speaking of all over the map, um, the uh, we talked about the Bigelow Stationery. And in this uh, scene, in this minute, we see the smaller version. If you go to Joe Johnston's sketchbook, uh, you see the larger version. The larger version has an address uh, on it. And the street address is 17533 uh, Sepulveda Boulevard. And wow. so I threw that into uh, into Google Maps, and that is uh, it's a spot um, on Sepulveda, right off uh, right off the one, as they say in California. And it's um, 
right now, sort of the nearest thing on the map closest to that street number is uh, is a little is one of a, a rare thing these days. But it's a it's a viewpoint for watching airplanes at LAX, which is right across the road. Really? So, oh, so it's not. Yeah, it, it must be right near the. There's an in and out on Sepulveda right there. Just it's off the, this. Just yeah, this is uh, this is half a block from that in and out burger. Been there many so, times. <laughs> so the uh, so the yeah, the viewpoint yeah. is in fact like halfway between the In and Out Burger and and where Google Maps drops this uh, drops this pin, but uh, um, interesting too that we know. we know that uh, that uh, the Chaplin new mayor Field apparently was or was assumed by uh, was yeah it was maybe LAX, just bro. yeah assumed by LAX as uh, as the new mayor of Los Angeles. He's been in office for uh, for a few weeks as uh, was just about to get started on LAX at about this time, wow. so. Anyway, another uh, little rather, nice touch department. Rather famous picture is taken just about where that spot is. That's the uh, uh, the, the beautiful picture uh, that's been reprinted everywhere of uh, Endeavor and two uh, T-38s flying in oh, on the back sure. of uh, the 905 uh, 747 as, as Endeavor reaches its, uh, its new home. Uh, at the uh, California Science wow. Center, and they had no idea that they were they were offering a salute to the <laughs> newly in 1938 the newly late Otis Bigelow. Yeah, who by the way is now at our uh, our body count so far is three. <laughs> so we've lost Lenny, we've lost Wilmer, and now Bigelow. Wow. So we'll have to see. Hopefully, this is the end of the death toll, but I have a feeling there's more will die before this movie is over. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tune in tune in tomorrow <laughs> on that well, somber we'll, note yeah <laughs> yes then tomorrow for the death minute yes so we'll, we'll be uh, we'll be talking about that as we finish up the week but please uh, as as is our want we always ask you to go to social media to find us and i will go through this as quickly as possible but i will mention that you do have to go to twitter find us at rocketeer minute you can find us on facebook uh, facebook.com slash rocketeer minute and of course the great big site rocketeer minute.com get all these previous episodes look for other pictures that we put up from uh, from our super collectors out there uh, who, who uh, provide us with very rare glimpses and views of, uh, of the production of this show and different things, ephemera that survived this movie. So uh, so check out the big site at rocketeerminute.com. Uh, please, if you haven't already, go to iTunes or to Google Play. Leave us a great review and then click the subscribe button when you type in uh, Rocketeer Minute uh, on the search bar and, and click on us. Uh, that's about it. And we will finish up the week tomorrow as, as we say farewell to, uh, well, actually, it's, it's, if this were on HGTV, this would be where the, uh, where they're turning a house into a gazebo. Exactly. So join us for the ever popular gazebo making episode. The big reveal. Yes. Uh, minute 50 tomorrow on the Rocketeer Minute. So until next time, over and out. 